0: So, uh, my brother-in-law lives in Washington, D.C., and he works as a structural engineer there, but kind of of his own volition, he's looking for a new job. And we talked to him on the phone the other day, and he was excited because he just interviewed with this company that he was feeling good about. He got to interview with one of the senior leaders in the company, and he just loved this guy. He felt like he had a real clear vision for the company, great experience, the guy was very personable, clearly had organizational and leadership skill and gifts. Uh, It it gave him a confidence that this company was moving in the right direction in the future, and this was the kind of leader that he wanted to follow. We often talk about uh, authority, uh, power, as though they're bad things, uh, because, you know, well, often in their use they are, Uh, but good leaders, truly good leaders, are actually a blessing to the people under their leadership, Now, in the Advent season, it's a time of waiting and anticipation to celebrate the coming of Jesus. But why do we celebrate the coming of Jesus? We celebrate because Jesus is not just a great leader. He's a great king. The message of Advent, the message of the passage we're looking at today, is that God's king is coming to reign forever by the power of the Holy Spirit for the humble. So first, God's king is coming To reign forever. In this story, we have an angel appearing to a virgin, uh, Mary, who's betrothed, which is kind of like an ancient version of engagement, a little more serious, but similar idea. This angel who appears to her, named Gabriel, also appeared to a relative of hers uh, in the passage just before this, which we looked at last Sunday. Uh, Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, had been barren for many years, they hadn't had children, uh, and Elizabeth was very old. But God came to Zechariah and he said, your wife Elizabeth, though she's postmenopausal, though she's never had a child, is going to give birth. And now the angel comes to Mary and similarly tells her, you're going to give birth. However, the child Mary is going to give birth to is greater than the one that was promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth was barren, but Mary was a virgin. And the child that was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, the angel said was going to be great. But he was going to be great primarily because he was going to prepare the way for the Lord. He was going to prepare the way for the coming of another. When we come to Mary, however, her child is not preparing the way for someone else. We don't read that. Her child is not preparing the way of the Lord. Her child is actually the Son of the Lord Himself. It's called Son of the Most High in verse 32, called Son of God in verse 35. Now, when Jesus, Mary's child, is called the Son of God, it certainly speaks to the fact that he is a divine person, right? He's God in the flesh. But it actually has more to do with his office, the role he is going to play. In verse 32, we also read that he was going to be given the throne of his father David. Now, a little, you know, background on that. Uh, Jesus is born of a virgin, right? So he doesn't have an earthly kind of biological father, but his legal father, Joseph, is a descendant of this king, David, which means that Jesus is also viewed in a very real legal way as the descendant of David. And this man, David, was the greatest king in Israel's history before the coming of Jesus. When David was king, God came to David and made a promise to him that I wanna read you some of from 2 Samuel chapter seven. So this is God speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's important. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this was the prophecy. This was the promise from God to David hundreds of years before the coming of Christ. And now here we are. And what's the angel telling Mary? You're going to have a child, and he will be called Son of God. Same thing God had said the descendant of David would be. The angel is saying, this is the descendant. Only he's the Son of God in a far greater way than any king before him ever had been, because he's the one king who was born without an earthly father. The direct Son of God, born of none but God himself. And he would reign over the throne of David. And verse 33 kind of gives us the climax of this. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So what child is this who Mary is giving birth to? It's God's king. He's God's king who has come to reign forever. Now, my brother-in-law's job possibility, it sounds great and I hope it works out. But he's got to admit, right, that it's at least possible that in five years, that company could go bankrupt. These things happen, right? I hope it doesn't happen in his case. It it could happen though. But Jesus, he's the one leader that you can follow, the one king you can trust whose kingdom that's never going to happen to. He's never going to go belly up. You're never going to trust him and get to a point later where you say, man, I knew I shouldn't have done that. And that's what we're afraid of, right? Like, I don't envy my brother-in-law because if I was in his shoes, I'd be like, hey, you know, this company seems cool, but how do I know that it's really gonna work out? What if there's something better out there and I commit myself to this one and then it doesn't work out and that's five years of my life, I'm never gonna get back, you know, and it's a, I could have been advancing myself over here. And, and sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes you make a decision, you invest yourself, you, know, you invest your money somewhere, you invest in a relationship, you, you move to a place, you take a job and you look back on it a few years later and you say, man, that was a dumb decision. Didn't work out. With Jesus, you can put that to bed. That's never going to happen. He is the king who is going to reign forever. You will never regret, in the long run, entrusting yourself to him, following him, and giving your allegiance to him as your ultimate king, as the one you're kind of hitching your wagon to. He will never be defeated. You, you live in a world where there's a lot of people around you who are gonna tell you that it's silly to hitch your wagon to Jesus, right? To trust him and to let him reign over your life. It's silly. I was at this meeting um, a couple weeks ago with some other pastors in Philadelphia, and I heard this stat. Apparently in the 70s in Philadelphia, 40% of Philadelphia's residents were worshiping in Christian churches on Sundays. Now that's still lower than other points of history, but eh, you know, 40%, that's a, that's a good chunk. Today it's about 10% are the latest estimates, which means 90% of the people who live around you in this city have reasons they think what you're doing is silly by giving your life to Jesus, by trusting him. Maybe they wouldn't say that to you, but they they clearly believe there's other things that they should be giving their life to, right? that's, That's what they're doing. And if you're not careful, you can start to drift in that direction when all the influences around you are saying that or at least living that way. That doesn't happen overnight. It starts with, well, maybe Jesus' teaching on sexuality is a bit outdated, you know? It does sound kind of weird. Well, maybe what Jesus said about the love of money, you know, it's not that big of a deal. How dangerous is it to really just enjoy what you have? You know, uh, maybe Jesus' teaching on the way to heaven is, is a bit exclusive, you know, a bit intolerant. And you just let that stuff sit and fester and grow, and your allegiance to Jesus starts to drift, starts to shift. To something else. Because you don't want to end up on the wrong side of history, right? But if you trust Jesus, ultimately, you will not be on the wrong side of history. History is heading towards the reign of Jesus forever. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. He is going to be on the right side of history. And those who belong to him, who've entrusted themselves to him, will not be on the wrong side of history. They will be with the one who reigns forever. Remember, uh, Luke is writing this, the, the author of this book that we're reading, is writing this to people who lived under the Roman Empire. Now, if there was ever a kingdom that looked like it was going to reign forever, it was the Roman Empire. They had conquered most of the known world, right? And they, they even talked about themselves as the eternal kingdom. It's one of the ways they described themselves. And so when Christians are there and they're calling Jesus Lord and they're giving their allegiance to him, the people in power around them think they're crazy. And they're not like 10% of the population at this point. I don't know what the actual stats are, but they're a fringe group when Luke is writing this book. And they look crazy to the people around them. Some of them are even being killed just for being Christians. And yet, what what he's saying here is, even though that looks daunting, Rome's not going to be the one that reigns forever. Jesus is going to be the one that reigns forever. And now you know, 2,000 years later, you can go to Rome and you can go to a museum and look at the remains and the ruins of the Roman Empire and then go around the corner and worship King Jesus with Christians in Rome. Roman Empire, destroyed, no more. Jesus, still reigning, still reigning over all parts of the earth. But 90% is a big number and it seems daunting. And the number could get higher. In the years to come, I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do in Philadelphia. We're here, and we're going to break our backs to pray and serve in such a way that the number starts to go in the other direction in Philadelphia, and it certainly can. Um, I was reading this Manhattan, uh, you know, big, bad, kind of secular city. In 1989, Manhattan had 1% of its residents uh, attending gospel preaching churches on a Sunday. Today, that number's 5%. I think about how many people are in Manhattan. That's a significant shift. And throughout the world, you know, Asia, Africa, South America especially, churches are just blowing up. You know, they're growing and continuing to see people converted. But there's, there's other places in the West where the church is in decline. So we don't, we don't know what God's going to do. But my point is, whichever way the needle goes, no matter how much of a minority you start to feel like, even if it starts to feel crazier in Philadelphia, to follow Jesus, he is the one who is going to reign forever. Now the catch is, uh, sometimes that... Those 90% or whatnot um, hold government office, right? Sometimes they uh, write your paycheck. They do your performance review, determine what your salary is, have all the cool stuff. They have power, right? And many of the people in power closest to you in Philadelphia probably think you following Jesus is silly. But while they have power now, they're not going to reign forever. Here's what we know, right? Right? Every government will fall eventually. Every business will go bankrupt eventually. And of Jesus' kingdom, there will be no end. So you don't have to fear them. You don't have to fear the 90%. You don't have to even listen and fear your own doubts, right? Even when they have kind of 99% of your own heart. Because Jesus is going to reign forever. In fact, because he is, not only do you not need to be afraid, of those who don't believe, you should be emboldened to love people in a new way. Do you realize that a huge part of why we don't love people is because we're afraid of them? So I had this conversation with people. We have city groups at City like the smaller gatherings of people in people's homes throughout the city during the week. And I say, yeah, you know, I know I could go to a city group and I could actually get to know some people and start to move towards them and love, but it would just be awkward. Like, I don't know anyone. Like, what if I show up and it's weird and they don't like me and we have a strange conversation? Jesus is reigning on his, on forever. He's really going to be okay. You don't have to be afraid of people. Your king is going to win in the end. You don't have to be afraid. If you, if you're in a city group already, you know, you're part of this church, let's say, you could invite someone. You could ask someone to step into a position of leadership or serve in some way, and people will be afraid to do that. Like, well, I don't want to burden people, you know, like I I just, they probably wouldn't respond well to that. But all you're doing is asking them to follow King Jesus, right? You're just asking them to, to worship the one who's reigning forever. You don't have to be ashamed of that. You can be bold to love people and to invite them into that. Think about the people around you who, who aren't connected to any kind of gospel preaching church. Like, You can love them, right? Have them into your home. Serve them. Bless them. Do things that increase their joy. You could even let them know you're a Christian. Invite them to church. Something like that. But we'll say, what will we say? We'll say, well, they would never be interested in that. They're so cool. They wouldn't want to hang out with me. You know, I mean, they got so much bigger things going on in their lives. But they can't take Jesus off the throne, right? Just let him reign. You don't have to be afraid. And just go love people. Love people boldly. Because your king's going to win. Your king's going to reign in the end. And if you're here today and you're part of the 90%, if you're here, you're, you're obviously not part of the 90% today. But I mean, if, if, you, if you don't believe, right? If you don't call Jesus your king, would you just consider, is it possible that, you've, um, that you are following someone, that you've bought into the spirit of the age, those who are in power today, and that's why you don't want to follow Jesus? Uh, people tell me this all the time. They tell me, you know, the problem with you Christians is you just believe what you're told. But I think critically about things. Okay, think critically about this. If I can flip on MSNBC, if I can open the New York Times, if I can watch an episode of The Daily Show, and you believe all the same stuff that they're saying, is it at least possible that you're just listening to what you've been told also? It's just a different voice, a different source, a different people who are in power. Or maybe it's Fox News, The Wall Street Journal, and Ben Shapiro's podcast or something. But my point is, are are you just listening to what you've been told? Christians do listen to what Jesus tells us. But Jesus has been reigning for 2,000 years. Daily Show has been hot for like 20. And the day is going to come when the Daily Show gets canceled and his kingdom will have no end and he'll still be reigning. Everybody's trusting something. You've got to put your chips down somewhere. You've got to give your life to something. Have you really considered whether the thing you're giving your life to, the message you're trusting the people you're listening to, are, worth that, are worthy of that trust. Only Jesus will reign forever. Now, how can that be? That Jesus will reign forever, especially when it sure doesn't look like he's reigning right now? Well, that's kind of the question that Mary asks, gets us into our second point. God's king is coming to reign forever by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Mary hears this you know, message uh, that she, as a virgin, is going to give birth to this king who's going to reign forever. And she asks a reasonable question, how will this be in verse 34, right? I'm a virgin, Like, how can I give birth? There have been stories in the Bible of postmenopausal women who have been blessed and enabled to give birth by the power of God, but they've had a husband, right, who had a role to play in that process. Mary's got no husband, how am I going to give birth? And the answer of the angel, well... Before I get to the answer, let me just point out something about the question. Last week, uh, if you were with us, Zechariah, the other guy who got the promise of a child, asked a similar question, but he asked, how will I know this? He was kind of asking for proof, so I compared it last week. If someone tells you they're going to give you a Christmas gift, and you're like, yeah, show me the receipt, like you want to see proof, right? Mary's more like someone who gets the gift and says... Wow, how did you do this? You know, where did you get the money for this? How did you find this? You know, you've probably had seen people have that experience before. She believes that this is going to happen. But she just doesn't know how. And she believes it before it happens. Because she understands something that Zechariah didn't and that many times we miss, which is that really to believe anything requires faith. It's not a faith with no evidence, okay? She's got evidence. The angel has appeared and told her what it is. She has the best possible evidence. She has the promise of God himself, but she hasn't seen the end yet. She chooses to trust before that comes. My brother-in-law, if he takes this job, he has evidence, right? He's a great leader. He's done some research on the company, but ultimately it's going to take faith on his part beyond the evidence that this is going to work out if I take this job. He doesn't know definitively. So Mary exercises that kind of faith. But faith also doesn't exclude asking a question. You have questions about God, you have things you're wondering about, things you don't understand, ask. Ask away. Mary does. And the angel answers and entertains that question. But you just have to understand, no amount of answered questions will eliminate the, the reality that you're going to have to trust Jesus in the end. You're going to have to give yourself to him and commit yourself to him personally and put your life in his hands without seeing the end yet. But she asks the question, and it's a reasonable question right virgin birth? How's that going to happen? So the angel says, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. I mentioned that there's never been a virgin birth before Mary, and that's absolutely right. But there have been two humans who were born without earthly fathers. The first humans, Adam and Eve. And when Adam is formed, God forms him from the dust of the ground, Genesis 2 says, and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. The word for breath in Hebrew is the same word as the word for spirit. The spirit of God is the one who breathes life into the first human being. So what the angel is saying is, if the Holy Spirit could do it then, he can do it now. If he could form life from the dust of the ground, he can form life in your womb. In fact, the Holy Spirit doesn't even show up for the first time in Genesis 2. In the second verse of the Bible... Genesis 1-2, we read that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and then everything is created by that power. So what the angel is saying now is the same power that made everything in existence has the power to create life in your womb. Whatever you believe, whether you believe in God or not, we should be able to agree that the forces that control our universe, the forces from which this thing exists, are powerful. What this is saying is that those forces are not just random kind of impersonal forces. They're what Galileo called the observant executrix of divine commands. Executrix, great word. Galileo was translated, so I mean I guess his English translator said that, but it's a good word. Uh, he's saying the forces of nature are ultimately doing the will of God, responding to his beckoning. And so if God's the one doing it, he can use those for his purposes. And he can use these forces to create life in a virgin's womb. That's what's going to happen. And that's what's going to ensure that this king reigns forever. So today, it doesn't look like Jesus is reigning. How will Jesus reign forever when so much of the world seems to be against him? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How will Jesus reign forever when so much of even professing Christians don't seem to be with him? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How will Jesus reign in your heart over sins that you struggled with for years? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How will Jesus use you, little you, to encourage and build up others? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How could God use you to introduce someone else to Jesus when you feel like you barely know him? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And how will God use Mary, Virgin Mary, to give birth to the King who will reign forever? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He is powerful enough to do these things. And so uh, Mary's response in this regard is again exemplary. In verse thirty eight, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. If God if your spirit can do it, I'm willing to offer myself for it. God doesn't need you to be able, right, to do anything for his kingdom. He needs you to be willing. And Mary offers herself up and says, I'm willing, I'm willing to accept this role if this is what you have for me. So the first question we gotta deal with is, are you okay with your life being in the hands of another? Are you okay with whatever role he assigns you in the kingdom? If you are, then he'll use it. He'll take care of making it effective. By the power of the spirit, he'll use it. But are you okay with it, it being his? More often not, because the greatest enemy to the reign of Jesus in our lives is not actually the 90%. It's not actually Philadelphia. It's not the Roman Empire. It's you. It's me. It's the kingdom of self rising up in rebellion against the kingdom of Jesus and against his reign. And from big things in your life to small things, this conflict between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of Jesus rears its head. So I mentioned earlier that I'm a new father, which means I'm going to have to resist the temptation to talk about my son in every sermon. But today I'm not resisting. I'm just going to do it. So, you know, <laughs> deal with it. Um, when I get home at night from work, I have an agenda for what I want that night to look like. So my son starts crying. And in my head, what I'm thinking is, I'll go rock him for 10 minutes and then I'll go to sleep. Two hours later... He's still awake, and I had to change a diaper in there, and I had to feed him in there, and I had to burp him in there, change his clothes, whatever. So what do I do? I get mad, because he didn't get the memo. I'm the king here, and you've not submitted to my rule, and so therefore I'm deploying my army against you. But bigger picture, God didn't get the memo that I'm king here, and I decide what my night looks like. No, instead, he decided that for the purposes of his kingdom, the way he wanted me to spend two hours tonight was taking care of my son, and not 10 minutes of that and an hour and 50 spending on myself, which is what I probably would have done with it. But if, I'm, if I assume the posture of Mary, I can look at God, and instead of getting angry, I can say, I'm a servant of you. My life is in your hands, all my life. And so, of course, these two hours... Are in your hands. And if this is what you've assigned me for these two hours, okay, Lord, you can use that. I'm all yours. And I'll tell you what, it often is mundane things like that that God assigns you in the day-to-day kingdom work. If God told me uh, next week you're gonna have to put in a 60 or 70-hour work week to cure cancer, I'd be like, Yeah, all right, you know, that's gonna be a hard week, but that's an important globally significant cause. Changing a diaper doesn't quite have that glamour, right? But a lot of following Jesus is that. Look, what is Mary's assignment here, really? She's not supposed to reign over everything. Jesus is going to do that. She's just, be a mom. That's basically her assignment from the Lord. Would you just bear this child and be a mother to this child? Seemingly insignificant, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses that kind of service to accomplish his kingdom purposes. God's kingdom purpose for you a lot of days is feed your kid. Go to work. Love your wife. Love your husband. Go spend time with that coworker nobody likes hanging out with. Spend time with that friend that's going through a hard time right now. Feed the poor. In church often it's like set up a chair. Pour some coffee. Greet someone kindly. These small, in, seemingly insignificant things, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are used by God for the spread of His kingdom on earth. Mary's task be a mom, and the Holy Spirit will use it. And, and let that be an encouragement to you if you're in the room today and you're a mom, right? I'm, I'm learning firsthand that that's a big sacrifice. Sacrifice for dads, too, but dads can opt out in some ways if they want. Moms don't really have a choice they got to carry that baby. I know people don't like gender roles and all that, but this is a gender role you can't bend, okay? (laughs) Only mom carries the baby. She's got to go through the labor and the delivery. If you're breastfeeding, it's not coming from dad, okay? Mom's supplying the milk. It's a sacrifice. It cuts into your body. It cuts into your sleep. It cuts into your career a lot of times. And it often feels insignificant. What's the global purpose that I'm serving here by changing a diaper, by feeding a child, right? Well, I mean, and the world around you, honestly, probably isn't going to look at that and tell you you're doing something heroic. The world around you is probably going to make you feel like, man, I'm selling myself short. I should be out, you know, achieving greater things than just being in my house and like what a domesticated, you know, worthless existence. Not everybody's called to be a mom. If you're not a mom, you're not failing, okay? But if you are, that is significant in God's sight. That is a very real kingdom purpose that you are serving by caring for and nurturing the life of another human being. And God will use, by the power of the Holy Spirit, every diaper you change to accomplish his kingdom purposes. There is no service too small, there is no task too humble. Nothing that you do in service to God will ever be in vain. This king is going to reign forever. Your service to him will be used by him, by the power of the Holy Spirit. But to receive that from him, to kind of be okay with that, requires humility. And so that's the third thing we're going to talk about. God's king is coming to reign forever by the power of the Holy Spirit for the humble. So after all this goes down, uh, part of the evidence that the angel gave Mary was that she had a relative, Elizabeth, who had already been with a child, after being barren for years. So Mary goes to see Elizabeth. And when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, we see Elizabeth's humility in the way she responds to Mary. She, she rejoices. In verse 43, she says, How will it be that I get to see the mother of my Lord? The, the significance of what she's saying there, don't miss it. She's saying that child in the womb of Mary is my Lord. He's greater than I am. He's greater than my son. Now, she's been uh, wanting a child for decades of her life and has been unable to conceive, and finally she gives birth. And what's she doing? She's not praising the child. She's praising the other child. She's saying, that's my Lord. He's greater. She's not saying, well, how come Mary gets to be the mother of the Lord? You know, she's not saying, well, that birth announcement's going to get way more likes on Facebook than mine, you know, and so I'm going to lose all the attention, and where's the celebration for me, you know? She's not thinking of herself. And so she's able to have a lot more joy. Rather than comparing herself to Mary, she's rejoicing in her Lord. That she just gets to be around him. Like, how cool is that? I get to be around mother of my Lord? Like, this is amazing. Mary, also, verse 46, uh, what's she doing? She's not magnifying herself, right? No, uh, yeah, that's right, mother of the Lord here. No mother of the Lord t-shirt. I mean, that's like the ultimate trump card, right? People are there talking about their kids. They're like, my kid's three years old. They're already reading, you know? Mary would be like, oh yeah? Mine's going to die for the sins of the world, rise from the dead, and reign forever. Okay, well, you you, you won. Um, But she's not doing that, right? She's magnifying the Lord, verse, verse 46 says. My soul magnifies him because, verse 48, he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. She's saying like, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. And I get to have this role? I get to be a part of God's kingdom and used by him to accomplish his purposes? That's amazing. I don't deserve this. God loves to use nobodies. He loves to use nobodies to show that he's somebody. And when you know you're nobody compared to him and he chooses to use you, it creates this incredible joy because you know you don't deserve it. You look at the things in your life and you just start to say, like, what did I do to get this, (laughs) you know? Incredible joy. The rest of her song is about that, really. It's about how God exalts the humble. And she praises him because he also brings low the proud. What's pride? Pride is uh, trusting in the kingdom of self. It's saying, I'm a good enough king that I don't really need. Jesus. I don't need to be led by someone else. It's being in my brother-in-law's shoes and saying, I don't need that boss. I'll be my own boss, you know. And in business, sometimes that's a good idea. But in life, if that's your approach, I'm my own boss. I can take care of me. I can make this thing work. God is going to bring you low one day when he exalts the humble, those who knew they needed him. Now, the Roman Empire was full of people like that because they were successful. And it's one of the risks of success, actually. If you live in America, uh, this is a risk for us. Because many Americans, not everyone, but many Americans, um, have a lot of stability. Life just kind of works. America's not perfect, but it's a lot more stable than other nations have been. Like, if you go to work this week, you have a job, probably you're going to get a paycheck. And probably you're going to be able to eat. You might even have food in your freezer. You got stuff stored up. For months to come now if that's true who needs jesus for their daily bread who needs to look at him and say i'm in a humble estate no i got everything i need some of you in the room when you get your paycheck there's more money on it than a lot of other people some of you are good at your jobs and you have succeeded in your careers and if that's you you don't have to hide that you don't have to pretend that's not true you don't have to feel guilty about that at all okay god's blessed you praise him but there's dangers to it, that's all I'm saying. The danger to it is, I was just reading this in our Bible reading plan this week, Hosea 13, God says, I fed them in the wilderness, they were full, and then they forgot me. Israel never did well with blessing. And, and when we are blessed by God, we get full, and then we forget him. And then he says, there's a great king coming, and you're like, eh, I got this, Right? And in fact, if you think you've got this, you don't want to be ruled by someone else. It's why Christianity will always be the chosen religion of the poor and powerless of the world. Because they're happy to be ruled by someone else. The rulers of this world ain't working, right? And they know they don't have it. But so many of us who are successful in the eyes of the world don't think that way. You're so used to everyone around you telling you you're awesome... That when God comes to you and tells you you aren't and that's why you need the awesome King Jesus, you resist that. No, I am awesome. I'm good. And so the proud are the ones who are brought low, and the humble are the ones who are exalted. And if you're proud, you just don't get to have joy like the kind of joy that Elizabeth and Mary experience in this passage. Because you've got to be great. You've got to uphold now that image of yourself as great So when you're in Elizabeth's shoes and someone else gets blessed, you're not rejoicing, you're comparing. You're saying, well, geez, Mary's kid looks like he's really going to be somebody. What are we doing about our kid? Did we get him into that Spanish immersion program? And is he on the travel soccer team? And, you know, all that kind of stuff so that we can measure up to the kid next door. That's all nice stuff. But if that's what's driving it, no joy, right? So he's got to be better. He's got to be somebody. If you're Mary and you get blessed... You don't receive it as this incredible unmerited gift. You receive it as your due. Well, yeah, of course, I'm great. Okay, now what what can I do to get even better? You miss joy in all of it, right? Because only the humble are the ones who can really sing. Only the humble are the ones who can sing songs like Mary's that say, wow, God is amazing. He has looked on my humble estate. He is truly incredible. The poor know and you've got to know, I don't deserve it. I don't make claims on God. He doesn't owe me something. It's all grace. But we fight. The kingdom itself rears its head, and we fight. This kingdom of God, especially if we think we've got a lot to offer, and we've got a lot to hang our hat on. And you just, it's not worth it. It's going to rob you of your joy, and you're going to lose. Mary's saying that the, the, the proud, the mighty are going to be brought low. Jesus is going to reign forever. You're not. Let go of it. He's going to reign forever. And not only is he going to reign forever, but he's a good king. He's the kind of king you want to follow, you want to submit to. And how do we know? We know because when he came, he came and he filled the hungry rather than filling himself. He actually starved 40 days in the wilderness no food of his own came back and fed 5000 people not himself others this is this is this is the kind of king who feeds and who serves and who blesses his subjects even when that service requires that he himself become hungry it's not just like i got food left over here you go jesus actually comes and is homeless is ashamed is hungry and ultimately on the cross is naked He comes to die for his subjects, to be stripped of everything that was rightfully his. And yet, when that was his assignment from God, he looked at his father and said, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. He comes, you know, Mary says, um, God brings the mighty low. But Jesus is the truly mighty one who brought himself low for us not as a king to kill his enemies. When, when the kingdom of self rebels against the kingdom of God, he ought to just put that right down. But instead of killing his enemies, he dies for his enemies so that we could actually be released from the dominion of self and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus to live under his reign in whom there is redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that reign is the reign that he inaugurated when he rose from the dead. His kingdom will have no end because he will have no end. His life is indestructible. He has the name above every name. He will reign forever. And one day he will return to reign forever on this earth. If you hold on to yourself, if you're stuck on yourself, you won't have joy. You'll be comparing yourself to others. Every gift you get will never be enough. It's just what you deserve. You'll never be able to sing like Mary does. If you're stuck on yourself, you'll make your own agenda. You'll go to God and you'll demand that he submit to it. And when he doesn't, you'll be angry. If you're stuck on yourself, your kingdom will die with you because your kingdom was never any bigger than you. But if you trust Jesus, the one who is going to reign forever, if you lose yourself and you come to him in a humble position with nothing to offer him, no well, but I have really tried my best. You know, I have, I have tried to be good. I know I haven't been perfect, but I've really tried to be good. If you drop all that, right, and come to him with nothing, knowing that God really, what you ought to do is bring me low. What you really ought to do is put me in the dust. He does just the opposite. He exalts you to a citizenship in a new kingdom ruled by the one king who actually is going to reign forever. And he uses even the smallest acts of service that you do unto him by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his kingdom purposes. Now, if that's true of you, if that's true of me, if we've been loved like that, if we have that kind of king, how much more can we say with Mary? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Not only has he looked on the humble estate of his servant, he's taken on the humble estate of a servant for us. Let's pray. Father, you are the truly mighty one. You have all power in heaven and on earth. By your spirit, everything was made, including us. And yet, Lord, we confess that we have allied ourselves to ourselves, that we have taken up arms against you. And so we rejoice today that you are a king unlike any other, a king who would die for his enemies rather than destroy them who would make them his own and release us from the tyrannical kingdom of self that robs us of joy, that drives us to anger, that will die with us. God, we pray today that you would continue that good work of just defeating every little bit of self that still remains in us. That the reign of Jesus would be established in our hearts and that we would experience the freedom and joy that comes from following such a good king. The king who would serve, the king who would fill the hungry, the king who was exalted from his humble position and who will one day exalt us to reign with him forever. We look forward to that day and we ask this in his name. Amen.